0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: We love life. We don't want to die. But there's no loss in our death. There's only gain. When someone dies and goes on before us, they're in the very presence of the living God. And and at the moment my life is done, I will have ceased sinning.
0: We are not called to live our lives for our own pleasure, but for God's will. And while God has an incredible future and a hope for us, there will also be suffering. But God uses even that suffering because He is so good to bring us closer to Him, to refine us, and eventually to comfort others with the same comfort we've received from Jesus. Here's more from our message out of 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 8. With Robert Furrow.
1: God's good at putting up roadblocks in our way and we're good at knocking those roadblocks down and going over them anyway. We're maybe good at identifying the roadblocks. Maybe even saying, wow, God's giving me a warning. I'm going to turn away from this. But then we turn around and go back over that roadblock. When we first began the church, there was a young man with a lot of promise and ministry at the church. He heard me teaching on a similar subject like we're teaching on today. And he heard God speak to him clearly to break off a relationship he was in. God said, if you choose this relationship, then your life's gonna head towards destruction. And he said the scary thing was that as he was sitting there, he said this to me later on, I chose the relationship knowing it would bring him to destruction. And it did Everything in his life was was taken out. Now, God's merciful and God's good. And today his life is a blessing, but he went through dark, hard days because God said, that's not what I want for you. She's not who I have for you. God had someone else for him, but not her. And so it brought destruction into their lives. So it is with sin we bring it in, and when it's conceived, what does it say in James? It brings forth death. We're enticed, it's conceived, it brings forth death. You might not die, but something's gonna die. That's what sin does. Something dies. Now, you and I need the grace of God because the Bible says if any of us say we have not sinned, we're liars. So if I stand up in front of you guys today and say, I just want you guys to know that I have defeated sin in my life. You guys could say liar. So what we need to do is call out upon the grace of God and learn to resist sin, even unto bloodshed. The Bible says you have not resisted sin to bloodshed. You say I can't not give in to it. you haven't resisted unto bloodshed. And look at the seriousness at which Peter approaches this subject. He says in verse one, therefore, and he's been talking about the suffering of Christ. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. He suffered in the flesh. We think of him in the garden, receiving the will of God for him to suffer. Lord, if there's any other way, take this from me. But if not, then your will be done. Arm yourself with the same mind. Lord, I don't want to suffer. But if your choice for me is suffering then I'll receive it. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, Peter's talking about really suffering. He's talking about suffering to the point of death because that's the only way you cease from sinning. There are those who teach that you can get to a sinless state here in your flesh, but it's a false teaching I wish it wasn't. I wish we could overcome sin completely. But as long as we are here in this flesh, then we will be dealing with it. The key is that we have to deal with it. The key is that we've got to struggle with it. I like what Greg Laurie says. He says, some of you guys don't struggle with sin. You just give in. You're tempted, you give in. There's no struggle. We need to struggle with it. And suffering gives us a perspective where we battle against sin. This is one of the positive side effects of suffering. One of the positive side effects of of difficulties. There's more than one, by the way. The Bible says that in our suffering, we complete the work of Christ. So that in my suffering, the work of Christ can be completed, then I'll receive that. I don't want it. I ask God, why couldn't in my great joy, why couldn't you, you know, the work of Christ be done in that? God doesn't do things the way men do things. One of the side effects of suffering is that you cease to sin. When you suffer, it gives you a better perspective on this world. And when you suffer to the point of your life being taken from you, you have ceased to sin. And these people are going to face persecution, and there's a chance that one of you here or a couple of you or maybe more, depending on how politics turns in the future, will one day have your life taken from you because you're a Christian. There's a chance. You could be traveling somewhere in the world and you could be kidnapped by a radical Muslim group. They may take a video of you while you're being beheaded. It's a chance that could happen. I don't know what the statistics are or the the percentage of that chance is, but it's there. It could happen. And if they did take you, And force you on your knees and take out a knife and cut off your head. They would be doing you a favor. That is so hard for us to grasp from our perspective. Because we love life. And last week Peter said, if you love life, look at verse 10 of chapter 3. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. We love life. We don't want to die. But... There's no loss in our death. There's only gain. When someone dies and goes on before us, they're in the very presence of the living God. And, and at the moment my life is done, I will have ceased sinning. When I die, for you guys who are still here, and if the Lord tarries, just think that. Just think Robert's done sinning, it's over, it's finished. He's in essence saying, there's some suffering coming, so wrap your mind around it. Get ready for it. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That uh, verse two, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. We've been given time, it's a gift for us. We are not to live the rest of the time that we have for the lusts of men. That's the way the world lives. The world lives for the weekend, if the world could figure out a way to get out of work, they'll live for, for every day of the week. But they live for the weekend to be able to go out and fulfill their own lusts. We're to no longer live that way. But for the will of God, it says. What, what is God's will for my life? Discovering God's will is a main part of what a Christian needs to do. That's part of being established in Christ. Christ. What is God's will for me? Now, there's the moral will of God. You say, well, what's God's will for me? Where does God want me to go and what does God want me to do? Well, I don't know. I can't open up the Bible and tell you where God wants you to move and what God wants you to do and if you're supposed to go start up a church or if you're supposed to go help somebody do that or if you're supposed to just be where you are. I can't do that. But I can sure tell you how the Bible says you're supposed to live while you're at work or why you're planning a church, or why you're supporting someone who's planning a church. That's the will of God for you. We can find out how God wants us to live on our daily lives. And then as we pray, God directs us so that we discover his will. I believe that I found when I was 25 years old, I knew I didn't want to, I had an upholstery shop for, at that point I had four different upholstery shops over seven years. I knew that I didn't want to do upholstery the rest of my life. I knew that for sure. And I believe that God had a plan for my life. And it's so funny because I told people when they said, well, what do you think God's going to have you do? I would say, I think God wants me to be a counselor. Any of you guys ever been counseled by me? I'm a very bad counselor. <laughs> I want to teach everybody. I want to be like, oh, that's your problem? Well, okay, well, here, let me give you a little three-point study out of 1 Peter. Let's turn there. We'll take a look at it now. God had his plan, his will was far better than what I had thought God's will would be for me because it's perfect for me. And Even when you think about what God has me doing, two different campuses, five services a weekend, when I have pastors come and visit and do the the studies in the weekend, they'll they'll call me and they say, are you nuts? You're crazy. God, God just makes us for what he has planned for us. Daniel Fusco calls it the furrow marathon on the weekend. (laughs) I'm going to go do the furrow marathon. He'll text me. I'm exhausted after, after the last study. God knows exactly what we need and who we are and what our lives are and exactly what it is. God's will. We aren't to live for the things of the flesh, but for the will of God. Then it says, for we have spent enough time in our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Hey, look, we spent enough in doing our own will and the will of what other people wanted. It's time now for us to live our lives so that God gets the glory and God is lifted up and people around us come to Christ and God uses us for the sake of the gospel. He goes on to say, in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drunken parties, and abominable idolatries. So the world's living for in regard to these, he says in verse four, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. In other words, when you live your life separate, when you live your life differently, when you are not entangled in sin, and when you have come out from among them and are separate, they see it and they don't understand it. They don't understand you and me. I'll guarantee you, they don't understand why you go to church on Saturday and they certainly don't understand why you're here on Wednesday night. They don't understand why you don't go out on the weekend and party with them. What you used to do before you came to Christ, then you came to Jesus and you started going to church, they're wigged out on you. They don't know what's going on, but here's what they do know. Something's going on. It becomes a testimony to them. Your changed life becomes the life that God has for you to be able to witness to them. And so it says in verse 5, they will give an account to him, that's Jesus, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who are alive because we have been born spiritually, born again, and those who are dead because they've only been born in the flesh, only been born once, and have never been quickened to life. And he's ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who were dead. Now, it's not saying that you go stand over a grave and preach the gospel to someone who's dead, or someone dies, and you preach the gospel to them, somehow bringing them in. It's saying they're dead because they have never been born again. And the gospel is preached to those who are dead. So that as we live our lives apart from sin for the will of God and not for the will of the Gentiles, then our lives are lived for the sake of people seeing us and coming to Christ. For this reason, the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the flesh, but live according to the will of the spirit so that they would see you and come to Christ. In other words, one of the reasons that God has saved you is so the people around you could come to him. It It is a slow work. You may have already given up on it because it's so slow. It's a work that takes, takes years. For some people, it takes a lifetime. For some people, they have to, to watch you until the very end of your life. Lisa, who went to be with the Lord, had lived her life for Christ since she was 18 years old. She met the Lord at 18 and it was a radical change for her. She had, really was an alcoholic at 12 years old taking booze, her parents' booze, to school in Tupperware containers. And when she was 18 years old, she she pretty much had had enough of this world by then. She began to live for Christ. And she shared with her father over and over and over again. Lisa died. And when she died, her dad was at the funeral. And her dad began to show interest in Christ. Her dad began to say, I'm going to see Lisa again. Her dad was a lieutenant colonel in the Marines, six, four. I don't know how big he was, a lot bigger than me. One time he got mad at me on a Thanksgiving day. He'd, he'd lent us some money for a down payment on a house and he had me out moving rocks on Thanksgiving. And I was so upset that when, when he came out and said, come on in for, for lunch, he was gonna call me in so I could have Thanksgiving, but I was outside working on rocks so I could have Thanksgiving with the family. And when he said, come on in, I said, no, I'm moving rocks. So I stayed outside throwing rocks in the truck while they were at the table ready to eat. I was like, I ain't going. They're going to have me out here moving rocks. I'm moving rocks during the dinner time. I'm not stubborn. I'm not vengeful. I'm not spiteful. There's not a vengeful, spiteful bone in my body. Lisa came out and said, come in and eat Thanksgiving. No, I'm moving rocks. That's what I'm doing on Thanksgiving. How many of you other guys would have done the same thing, right? I'm not the only one who would have done that, right? Right. A little later on, he was really mad at me. I finally went in and ate with my family, by the way. A little later on, he was still mad at me. He shook his fist at me. It's just this huge fist. (laughs) He looked like John Wayne. He looked at me and said, well, do you want to fight? He shook his fist. I'm like, no, Keith, man. I don't want to fight. Before he died, well, three months after Lisa died, he died. He had cancer, and he went downhill really fast after Lisa. It was almost like when Lisa died... He just lost the will to live and he just gave into it. His older daughter, Debbie, was with him one day and he got a little startled and she said something to him and he said, is it, is it Lisa? He was, just had that anticipation of seeing his daughter and that had brought him to the place where he had made his peace with Christ. It was a long work. He was a hard nut to crack And it took took her life to do it. It took a lifetime and it took her life to be able to get him to the place. And so we don't see people come to Christ and we think, well, well, it's it's no good. Me living for Jesus, no one's ever come to the Lord because of me. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what God's doing. And you don't know the souls that you are rescuing from hell. The Bible says that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways, saves a soul from hell. Now, despite other people's theology, that means we save souls from hell. Our lives being lived in the righteousness of God and the will of God rather than the will of a Gentile makes such a difference that the lives that we live, which are not a year or two years or five years or 10 years, but it is the rest of our lives will be lived for his glory. And listen, if Jesus tarries and you live for him and then you die for him, then people will come to Christ. They will see that through the good times and the bad times and the worst time that you stuck with Jesus, they will turn to the Lord and they will begin to follow him. There will be fruitfulness from your life lived for Jesus, even though right now you can't imagine that happening, even though right now you may think no one has respect for me, they really do. They have respect for you. They're just confused. You used to get drunk with them and now you don't want to. They don't understand it. You used to tell dirty jokes with them. Now you walk away and they don't understand it. They don't know how to handle you. They don't know how to deal with you. Your family kind of gives you the, like, at Thanksgiving, you want to you say a prayer or something? <laughs> right? Am I right? You guys get that because they're, they're like, you're, you're the religious one. <laughs> hey, look, take that opportunity and boldly say, Jesus, would you touch the hearts of all of us? Draw us into your presence. Give us, give us boldness to love you Just be bold in your prayer. Pray that Christ would be be present and that the people there would come to know him. Just be bold in your prayer. They're going to give you an opportunity once a year to pray over a meal. (laughs) Then take it. Be bold in your prayers. Look at it again, verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but living according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Therefore, be prayerful, people, because the end of all things is at hand. Either Jesus is going to come back for you or you're going to go to him. Time is short. Redeem the time and do the work. Again, it's not short, quick work. It's long and it's drawn out. And it takes time and the results are yet have the patience of a farmer. You got to sow the seed. You got to water it. You got to go to harvest to bring it in. We got to be patient in doing so. In verse eight, and here's the key. And we're probably going to cover seven and eight again next week, by the way. But in verse eight, here's one of the keys. And above all things, I love that. Above all things. This is the very highest thing for us. We'll definitely cover this again next week. Have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Above all things, have a fervent love for one another. Love will allow you to be able to pour your life into those around you. Love will allow you to sacrifice. Love will cover those multitude of sins. The whole passage is on sin. What God wants from us, first of all and most of all, is that we would love one another. We say, I go to church. I read my Bible. I say my prayers. But I can't stand my husband. I don't have anything to do with him. Well, I'm really spiritual. I love God, but I really don't want to be around my wife. You just mistreat her or you mistreat him. Loving Christ begins right where we are right now. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Do the work of the gospel. Live your lives in front of people. Living the righteousness of Christ and getting rid of sin because it's a testimony to the people around you who desperately need Jesus. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Father, we wanna thank you. As we've taken time to look at Peter's words and we're encouraged by what we find here, we wanna live our lives in such a way that people around us would see you and come to you. And we realize that that is done as we preach the gospel, as we live our lives, but we realize it's also done in what we don't do because we are not sinning, because we are not living for those things that we used to live for, because there's a difference in who we are. And it makes it uncomfortable sometimes, but you're using that even to touch their hearts in drawing them to you. And Lord, help us that we don't give in to sin because it's enticing and because we think I'm okay, I can handle this, help us to understand that none of us here can handle sin. Sin's out of control. will always be out of control. None of us here have, have it mastered. We need to master the sin that's crouching at the door. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. None of us here have sin mastered. None of us here have it figured out. If you think you do, you're only fooling yourself. Sin's desire is for you, God told Cain. It's crouching at the door, he said, and his desire is for you, but you must master it. That we would live our lives in such a way that we would not be controlled or destroyed by the consequences of sin. God honors repentful hearts, by the way. If you have been sinning, if you've got got sin harbored in your life, unrepentant, unconfessed sin, then repent and confess. To repent means turn the other way. To confess means you tell God, I'm sorry I sinned, Lord. I don't wanna do this. Help me with this and begin to live your life for him. Turn from it now that you can find the forgiveness before sin's destruction sets in and it's too late.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse by verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His word is life changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit CalvaryTucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses, our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets saturdays at 6 p.m and sundays at 9 45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8 30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7 15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org